The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Piercing Wizard Podcast. If this is your first time listening, I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, I've had a lot of new listeners over the last few weeks. Uh, I credit a good amount of that to being available on Spotify now, so welcome. I'll try not to uh, bore you too much. My guest this week is going to be Derek Lowe from St. Sabrina's in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, St. Sabrina's is a, a really cool shop. It's high volume, but it really maintains kind of like a, a personal feel to it, you know, and a lot of that is the management of the back end and the front end and the, the piercing staff that they have, you know, a lot of people would refer to St. Sabrina's as kind of like a an all-star shop, you know, and I would certainly agree uh, with that point. So we talk a, a lot about uh, what goes into the success of St. Sabrina's, um, Derek's personal experiences and, and his outlook on, you know, the industry in, in, in whole, you know, and Derek's been to conference a million times and um, you know, he's got a, a really good perspective uh, on that to share. And just a quick shout out, although I've never met you, um, to Leslie, who owns St. Sabrina's. You're, you've got a really good shop there, and you really definitely have an eye for talent and, and the right people. And I, I think, um, especially you and Derek linking up, uh, that just seemed like it was kind of a, a perfect match. So I'd like to meet you someday and, and give you some props in person for your, uh, for your studio. As far as me, uh, I definitely want to name drop just a few more people that I uh, forgot to mention on that conference recap last week. I, I really want to single some people out. Maybe they're not looking for praise, but they're certainly about to get it. Um, John Salzer and Zach Boyer, uh, really appreciate all your hard work, and I know a lot of other people did too. You impressed a lot of people, so um, you know, stick with it. Uh, we're, we're all kind of expecting cool things from you over the next couple of years, and for anyone out there listening, you know, if you're in that APP bubble and uh, you know, John and, and Zach aren't already on your uh, radars, put them on there. Because um, I think we're going to be hearing those names a lot more over the next couple of years. No pressure. Um, for me, today is just going to be a mountain of small tasks. And sometimes that can even be more difficult than just like one big thing to, to get done. So um, when I do the APP conference in July, uh, that is really my sole focus. That's why I didn't take on any sort of extra seminars or anything for the summer. Because I, I just honestly wouldn't have the time that I would need to dedicate to uh, to making it a success. Everything that I have goes into getting ready for that APP conference in Las Vegas in July. And, and you know, in 2019, it'll be in uh, in May, so it'll be pushed back a, a little bit earlier. But that's really all I focus on. Uh, same thing for a lot of the APP board members, volunteers, instructors. You know, it takes a lot of work to get that ready. Uh, so now that I'm home from that, I have to focus on all the things that I kind of put on the back burner while I was prepping for Vegas. So most notably, I've got uh, the UK APP seminars in Manchester, UK. I've got those coming up in just a few weeks, honestly. I, I think I'm down to about one month before uh, before those classes. So uh, I should probably make some classes, maybe? Um, today, I submitted the official class titles and the descriptions for my classes. I'll be doing one called Starting from the Bottom, Now We're Here, an introduction to high-end jewelry. I'll be doing that one with Alex Wilkins. Um, Alex is a wrestling nerd buddy of mine, uh, body piercer from Brighton, UK. Uh, he's been on the show before. 
and uh, we've we've gone to a, a couple of wrestling shows over in the UK. So we're teaching that class together. Alex is going to be the lead on it, and I'm just going to be there for some support. And we're just going to basically kind of talk about that intimidation factor of. Uh, you know, maybe you've never sold uh, what you would consider to be high quality jewelry in your studio. You know, where do you start? You know, how do you make it a success? Anybody can just spend money on jewelry. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to to move it, sell it to clients, get those new clients in the door with it. So we're going to be talking a lot about that in the class and that should be a good one. Other than that, I'll be doing um, kind of a workshop on uh, blade bending and in the UK and in the European markets, they refer to uh, what we call just piercing needles here in the States because really nobody's using cannula needles over in the US because they're kind of a, a medical device in most areas. So the traditional body piercing needle that um, we all know and are familiar with in the US and North America. Uh, that's referred to as a, a blade needle in the UK to differentiate themselves from cannula needles. So I'll be doing a, a workshop with a few other piercers about how you can bend a blade needle. You know, if you want to get in a tight little area, um, we'll probably be talking about needle crushing or uh, needle improving. If Becky Deal is out there listening, needle improving uh, is a, a really important thing that I think a lot of piercers are going to need to start paying attention to. Over the next few years, I think that's going to make a really significant impact on our industry. So happy to be touching on uh, that topic in a class. I'm also going to be doing a nipple and navel piercing fundamentals class, talking all about uh, the anatomical concerns, um, why rejection can be so common with those piercings if they're done in a certain way, talking about how to do them with tools, without tools, um, lots of different ins and outs of uh, nipple and navel piercings. And then I'm really getting out of my comfort zone teaching an anatomy class. Um, I know broad strokes, fair amount of information, but you know I'm certainly not a, a doctor or uh, you know trained for just anatomy. I, I know what a body piercer needs to know. Um, and that's really kind of where I stopped learning. You know, I don't learn a lot about the internal organs or bones or anything like that, but I know a good amount about skin and blood vessels, muscles, glandular tissue, all that stuff. So I'm really going to boil down anatomy for just what body piercers need to know. I think it'll be really helpful. I think a lot of people get intimidated when they start trying to learn too much about anatomy. You really just need to know um, where you can put a piercing safely, where not to put a piercing because of safety issues, how they heal, different things like that. So I'll be talking about, you know, the lymphatic system and, and things like that, but in kind of a, a shorter piercer friendly format. So I think it'll be really good for people. Uh, and then I'm going to be going immediately from the UK APP seminars in Manchester over to Essen, Germany for the BMXNet conference. And uh, luckily, I'll be able to just kind of do repeats of some of my existing classes, but I'll also be doing some new stuff too. I'm going to be doing uh, another session of that nipple and navel fundamentals class. I'm probably going to be doing the oral and facial anatomy class, but I'm going to wait and see what other classes are on the books for this year. I know there's going to be an anatomy class in German, and I know there's also going to be a tongue piercing class, so I don't want to overlap my information too much, so if I'm going to drop anything, it's probably going to be that one. I'll definitely be doing the nipple navel fundamentals class, and the cool thing about BMXNet is I can do live piercing right in the class. So I'll be able to have a few models lined up, and I can just perform a nipple piercing, navel piercing, or a few uh, right in front of everybody and just kind of demonstrate the points I'm making. I'll also be doing a live session of scarification. Uh, I really don't teach any scarification classes in the US at all. I really only teach scarification classes at BMXNet. Um, that's kind of how I got my foot in the door for a lot of my instructing. You know, I, I did my first scarification class 
in Germany in 2008, I believe. Wow, shit, 2008. 2008, 10 years ago uh, at this point. So that's a class that I really feel connected to and I really like to teach that one uh, whenever I, I get the opportunity at BMXNet specifically. Um, it's a unique environment. You know, I can perform work. Um, I can bring all my own materials and basically they'll have a camera set up and it'll project it onto a screen for the people in the audience to watch and I can answer any sort of questions and talk about any sort of safety issues and technique issues right while I'm working. So it's a pretty, pretty interesting class. And uh, I really only teach that in Germany. I don't really feel comfortable with the concept of teaching scarification uh, in a class in the U.S. since it's uh, illegal in so much of the U.S. Uh, in Germany. Um, a little bit more lax on what you can do and where and how, so uh, I'm comfortable teaching it over there. And I'm also going to be doing uh, a, a new class that I actually got uh, from some feedback from the BMX attendees themselves. I'm, I'm going to be uh, doing a, a marking workshop and kind of taking some inspiration from the, the marking workshop that I've seen at conference. You know, it'll be me and a few other instructors. Uh, I'm going to pull in Beth Rosumsky, Brian Skelly and potentially Kale Belford if she ends up uh, being confirmed as an instructor for, for BMX this year. And basically, we'll show you uh, all of our tips and tricks for how we mark piercings. You know, I think some piercers get kind of like tunnel vision where they think like, you know, okay, I'm just going to do a dot or I'm just going to do a line or I'm just going to do this or that. And then that's how they mark it, you know, from there forward. Uh, so the big point of this class is we're all going to talk about how we prefer to mark, you know. Um, do you mark with the back of the needle? Are you marking with a sterile marker? Are you marking with non-sterile gentian violet? Like, how are you marking? You know, are you drawing a line? Or are you drawing a grid? Are you using calipers or a ruler? Are you just eyeballing it? Or, or you know, what are you doing? So I think that should be a pretty cool class. Uh, I've also got a private class lined up for Sunday, September 16th. It's going to be another session of my understanding and applying freehand piercing techniques. This is going to be an expanded class. Uh, I did one at the Boston Tattoo Convention a few months ago, and it was pretty short. It's only about two hours. That's all the time I had, uh, and I didn't really get to fully explain some of the concepts. So this is going to be slightly expanded. It's going to be a, a three or a four hour class. Uh, no live piercing in this one, but a lot more hands-on demonstration. So, you know, if you're not comfortable with needle bending, needle crushing, needle improving, all those things, uh, come to the class. I'm going to be explaining it in detail. Uh, I really, really like this class. It's going to be at the Massachusetts Tattoo Convention in Worcester, Massachusetts at the DCU Center on Sunday, September 16th. You can find out the info for that on my website at precisionbodyarts.com backslash seminars. Uh, and then after that, what do I got? Camp. Oh, Camp APP. Okay, so I got to be getting ready for that one too. I started chatting with uh, with Baron about a, a class concept where it's basically going to be kind of like a mystery Q&A. People can submit questions anonymously and I basically pull them out of a hat, um, answer the questions and cover a topic, you know, do like a little mini 10 or 15 minute seminars. We can maybe have a little bit of like moderated discussion uh, in the class, you know, who's doing what and, you know, differences of, of opinions and all that stuff. But I am going to be the taskmaster slash moderator. Um, nobody's allowed to hijack the class or, or teach from the back of the classroom or, you know, kind of suck up all the oxygen out of the room because that's my job. So uh, that should be a pretty good one at camp. Uh, camp is only available to you if you are an APP member. So if you're an APP member, I would strongly encourage you to try to get to camp. It's a really great experience. Uh, if you are not an APP member, maybe think about the things you can do to, to work towards membership because you get a lot of cool member-only opportunities like camp and all the different classes available at camp that you cannot get anywhere else. So uh, I think that's enough of me yammering. I have to get back to work. So let's get into this week's interview with Derek Lowe of St. Sabrina's. Okay. 
Uh, I'm Derek Lowe. I work at St. Sabrina's in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I've been for the past 16 years, um, both piercing and managing, and uh, recently became the co-owner of the studio, so I'm pretty excited about that. That is pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty into it to be to be honest. And then um, social media, obviously, you can find the shop. Uh, we're just Saint Sabrina's, kind of everywhere. Saint is all spelled out. My personal social media is Derek Lowe. Um, you won't find much, uh, probably piercing or industry related there. Mostly, uh, especially on Instagram, you'll just find pictures of my dog Ripley. That's adorable, by the way. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, she's she's pretty adorable. So so go 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 check her out. <laughs> so when it when it comes to the the ownership aspect, was that something where you approached them or did they approach you or because I would imagine that like after that long you'd have kind of a unique relationship with someone. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. And so my situation, you know, has probably been has been unique for a little while. Uh, Leslie Bach, who's the woman who uh, started Saint Sabrina's, she was never a piercer or a tattoo artist. Um, although she did go take uh, the gauntlet piercing seminars way back in the day, so she'd have a little better understanding of of the piercing aspect of her business. That's cool. Yeah, well, it was a, a thing. I don't think you know a lot of non piercers or tattoo artists would do. Uh, so. You know, because she was not really a piercer or a tattoo artist, is much more of an entrepreneur. Um, not long after I started working at Saint Sabrina's as a as a piercer and doing some helping out with some management stuff, she decided she wanted to pursue some other businesses, and so that's really what she did. And so I would say for the past probably four, 13, 14 years of the time that I've been there, she's she's mostly been uh, hands off. So yeah. it's been kind of a unique scenario in that I've, I've pretty much been running the studio. Um, for that time. And then, you know, I, I don't remember how long it was. It's prob- probably four or five years ago, maybe. I, I think she gave me the, the where do you see yourself in five years kind of question. Mm-hmm. And at that point, um, you know, I really had always treated the shop like it was my own. Um, and so I basically said to her, well, at, you know, at some point in the not too distant future, I think I would like to be co-owner of St. Sabrina. So, um, you know, I can actually say that and have it have it be the truth. So, she was uh, pretty receptive to it, um, and then it just took a few years of kind of figuring out how we were going to, you know, how we were going to make it all happen. Right. I, I'm sure parts of it were seamless, you know, like you being there for so long and you being, you know, essentially as, as far as when it comes to like the actual day-to-day work, being in charge for so long, I'm sure it, it was a little bit of an easier transition than if you were to like go off on your own and open like, you know, a second location of St. Sabrina's or, you know, start your own shop from scratch. So I think that's kind of like a dream situation for a lot of piercers. Uh, yeah, it, it really is. I mean, it's, I mean, I couldn't really have asked for a, a much better scenario. Leslie has always um, shown a lot of trust in me and allowed me to, to run things sort of the way that, uh, that I thought was best. And even most of the time when we've disagreed about certain things, she sort of let I mean, I guess she's let the results speak for themselves. And so she's, you know, might say something like, well, I I don't necessarily agree with doing it that way, but, you know, we seem to be doing really well. So I guess I guess we'll just keep going, you know, with with what you're doing. Um, So, yeah, so it was really sort of fortunate position to to find myself in. And, I, you know, I'm really honestly, I'm I'm pretty humbled and and very grateful. Um, She really was under no obligation to, to to let me, you know, 
be be co-owner of the studio and and be a partner and you know it's a situation she's not ever faced before so i'm sure it was a little it's it's a little uncomfortable for her and so i'm grateful that she you know decided to do that well you know i i think if um you know and i've never met her before so i'm just making assumptions but you know when someone's a business person and they're a successful business person they they really appreciate uh, the the staff because you know any anyone who owns a business and who isn't there doing all the work themselves they realize that if you don't have the right people then you're you're either going to get ripped off or you know your your business is going to be slow or something like you can't have success without the right people and it's just cool to see that someone would appreciate their their support their talent whatever phrase you want to use but it's cool to see someone um, support that person and and you know, give them that kind of opportunity to say like, you know, I think it's time for you to buy into the shop or, you know, be a partial owner or something like that. So I mean, I think that's a really cool situation. And I think a lot of piercers would see that as kind of like dream scenario, you know, because it's, it's not like it was a shop that was garbage to start and you had to build it over years. Like it was like a, it, it as long as I've known the name St. Sabrina's, it's been synonymous with quality. So um, it's just cool to see that you get to kind of move up the ranks there. Yeah, it's it's not it's probably not a, a situation or a scenario that that you know a lot of people will find themselves in. Like I said, so it, it is very cool, and I, and I consider myself very fortunate um, to you know have found myself in the situation that I am. So, what are some of the? And I, I'm sure they're going to be ample. So, I mean, you just give the highlights of whatever you want. But what are some of like the the biggest benchmarks you think for the success of Saint Sabrina's? Is it you know, is it entirely based on, you know, you're just in the right city, you know, you have a great location or is it your staffing or is it clientele and does that clientele come from like crossover clients with tattooing or is it really just generated by the, the, the strength of piercing alone? Like where do you think some of those elements of success have come from? Yeah, I think it's definitely a combination of things. Uh, one of, I think one of the big ones is certainly is just being, as far as I know, I think we were the first studio in Minneapolis offering piercing. Um, there certainly were, you know, some tattoo studios around before we ever started doing tattooing. But when it came to strictly piercing, I, I, you know, we were one of, if not the first sort of doing it. So just having, you know, that longevity um, certainly plays a part in it. Um, I think that's, you know, Minneapolis as a city uh, is unique a little bit in that um, you know we're in the, we're in the Midwest, so I mean the cost of living is is probably a little higher than I think people would anticipate for the Midwest, but you know it's it's not it's not crazy. It's not a New York or a San Francisco or Chicago or something like that. Um, so that helps. And then also uh, Minneapolis Twin Cities area is a really um, really well educated um, city. You know, kind of kind of makes lists all the time for you know, uh, just basically how educated the population is. And that certainly, I think, plays an important role when, you know, when you're trying to talk about things like jewelry quality and, you know, the education and training of piercers and your, and your tattoo artists and the rest of your staff, uh, because that, you know, I think in those situations, those things can, may mean more, um, and may, you know, may hold more weight to your clientele. And then Minneapolis is also a fairly affluent city. Um, so that certainly, you know, goes a long way of clients who, who can and who are willing to spend a little more, uh, to get the quality, you know, quality service and quality jewelry. I think, I mean, those are kind of, you know, those, they're kind of the base things, sort of things you don't, necessarily have a lot of control over um and then you know i think it's just the emphasis that um you know over the past 15 years we really have placed on staff and customer service i mean i think these days 
as you know with social media and just general awareness I think you know a lot of businesses are customer service focused but I think we were doing that uh, we were doing that a long time before it really was the standard within the industry mm-hmm. um, and you know and that was you know, we've all had people come into our studio and say oh I went down the street and they were such you know they were such dicks to me or they were such assholes and, and I'm sure that you know that happens occasionally with some of our clients that just rub somebody the wrong way but you know we we just you know, that was the thing we sort of always fought against is just trying to be, you know, as, as kind and understanding and, you know, helpful and informative and just nice, you know, as nice as we could be. Um, and some of that, you know, St. Sabrina's actually started off as an alternative clothing store, um, before Leslie added piercing and tattooing to it. And so in some ways, I think that coming from that more traditional retail focus, from the very beginning, uh, actually played a big difference, you know, cause it's not, it wasn't just your traditional tattoo shop mm-hmm. that decided to do some piercing or a piercing only shop. So, so the, you know, the background and the focus on customer service was maybe a little, a little stronger, even from the beginning than it might be in a more traditional studio. Were tattooing and piercing added at the same time or was it one and then the other? Uh, piercing was first and then um, tattooing came after that. I don't, I don't know exactly what the time on that was before I even started, um, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't long after that. Um, I know I had done a guest spot at St. Sabrina's in 1997 uh, after their first piercer uh, left. And at that time, they, I think they had one, you know, one tattoo artist at that point in time. So with the presentation, I haven't been lucky enough to make it out there yet. It's it's definitely on my list of studios that I want to see one day. But come on you, out! I, I absolutely want to. I would love to come out there. Uh, sure. Do you feel like it's um, like a, a tattoo studio that has piercing? Do you feel like it's a piercing studio that has tattooing? Do you feel like it's two distinct services in the mm-hmm. same building, or like what what's the vibe with the shop as far as the balance goes? Yeah, I mean, I, I think certainly we're you know we have and have really have always had pretty talented tattoo artists mm-hmm. but i think on the whole you know our reputation is is stronger as as a piercing studio you know it's kind of the piercing studio in the city mm-hmm. um but you know again we've we don't have a giant tattoo staff it usually ranges between three and five artists um but we have always had well in the time i've been here we've always had quality artists i think there may have been a time when they maybe weren't as good mm-hmm. um and, and you know it's 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 sometimes it's an interesting position to be in because we don't fall into a little you know more of the traditional traditional studio format and so um less so these days but i know you know back when i first started here there was you know among the the tattoo community and tattoo artists in the area there was a little like oh saint sabrina's they're not a tattoo shop you know or they're they're doing weird stuff over there having employees instead of contractors and right giving benefits and time off and what's that you know what do you got to sell your soul to the devil to get that stuff you know and, and it was never like that but you you know no one at least back then people would you know would never reach out and or come into the studio and actually try and find out what the situation is it was always you know a lot of rumors and you know the, how that sort of thing can happen in you know in, in a community sometimes fortunately that's you know not really the situation these days um, i think people understand that you know even though our format might seem a little bit different than on the whole, you know, we're just a piercing and tattoo studio. And I'm sure the fact that we, you know, we don't do any sort of retail or anything like that anymore probably probably goes a long way to, you know, to, to soothe some of those those feelings. Right. So do you feel like in the, the local community that you're – I mean, I, I don't like to throw out terms like, you know, industry leader when it comes to local because that can come off as kind of pretentious. But do the other tattoo studios uh, in, in – or, or body art studios in the area like – 
get it? Like, do they do they get that you're, you know, methodically trying to offer a certain service and that that's kind of like you where your brand recognition comes from? Do they get it or do they still kind of dismiss it as like, you know, oh yeah, they're they're piercers. You know, they don't they don't they're not really part of the club. You know, they're they're something like ancillary. Sure, I, I think I think on the whole, there's certainly they everyone seems to get it much more people much more receptive you know now than they have ever been in years past you know and i'm sure some of that also some of that you know the way people felt about it initially or in the past probably had a lot to do with the fact that you know it also was a a studio um not owned by someone who was a piercer or a tattoo artist Mm -hmm. Um, and also you know i mean and i hate to throw this out but i think it's it was certainly uh certainly not unreasonable to consider that, you know, the fact that it was owned by a woman, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 25 years ago, you know, 20, 23 years ago, whenever they started offering piercing, you know, was, was certainly, certainly not common at that point in time. Right. I, I don't think that, you know, again, you know, two dudes can't really like fully talk about the issue, but no, like, you know, sure. I, I think up until pretty recently, you know, women didn't get a fair chance in the industry. Um, transgender and individuals didn't get a fair chance in the industry. And it was always kind of seen as like, you know, okay, where's, where's the person who's really in charge? You know, where's the owner? You're just, you're just the manager. You're just the piercer. You're just the this or that. And, you know, now I think it's really starting to balance out a lot. And I think part of that, you know, is, uh, the, the brand that you've helped build, you know, because you've taken, uh, you've taken female piercers and, and female counter staff and you've really put them front and center in the studio and you've really um, let them kind of drive how the studio goes, you know, like uh, when you had uh, Brianna and, and, you know, now you have Courtney and all that. And I, I think that you have two very strong individuals right there. And it's one of those like get out of the way because they're going to lead sort of thing. You know, I, I don't think that you tried to minimize the contributions of your, your female staff. And I, I think that that was kind of ahead of its time, sadly ahead of its time. But, um, you know, I think that your studio is one of the studios who has really put, um, women in a, in a leadership role. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, I think that's true. And I mean, obviously a lot of that's driven, you know, initially by Leslie and being, and being a, you know, a woman owned business. And then, um, yeah, I mean, we, we've always had uh, a lot of, a lot of women, a lot of females, um, you know, as part of our staff, um, whether that's been, you know, we've tried to have them as tattoo artists or, um, you know, we have had, uh, female piercers in the past and then, you know, people who help manage the studio and are, and the folks who work at the front end. Um, in fact, I mean, I, I sort of feel like right now is probably on the whole, the, we have the highest percentage of, of men, you know, that, mm-hmm. uh, that, that work in the shop that maybe we've ever had, you know, mm-hmm. it's all, it's always been a lot of women and, and it's always something I've, I've, you know, always enjoyed. And I don't know, sometimes I, I've wondered about it, you know, and I think, well, you know, I kind of grew up with a, a single mom primarily. And so I, you know, always very comfortable around, around women and female energy. And so, uh, you know, for my end, it was never, it was never an issue, right? I never, I never thought like, well, you know, women can't do this, you know, I mean, anybody can do this job to show up and, and do it well. And that's, right. that's has been my primary interest. But I think having a lot of female energy in the shop, um, is really beneficial both to, you know, a lot of making the environment comfortable to a wider range of clients and just the, the way they approach problem solving and, you know, processes and, and systems and, and helping move the shop forward. I mean, it's been, you know, it's made a huge, a huge contribution. Right. Well, you know, and, and also I don't think that it's, I don't think the, the success or failure in a shop is when you reach out and say, I want more women, I want more this, I want more that. I think it's really just, treating everyone equal and letting the people who work hard work hard and get the recognition for it, you know? And, and I, I don't think that it's 
so much of a conscious thing. I think it's just when you when you operate a studio where there actually is fairness amongst the staff, you know, some people are going to shine and, and, you know, a lot of those might be different genders. And I don't I don't think it's so much of a conscious decision, but I definitely recognize St. Sabrina's as as one of those shops where um, it's it's just felt a little bit more balanced and it's felt a little bit more fair as far as uh, representation goes. Well, that's that's nice to hear that that's you know that that's how it seems. I guess yeah, I don't. I think you're right, and it hasn't been a particularly conscious decision. Um, but I think um, you know it's been it's been great for the studio. Good. So when you when you started at the studio, what was the staffing like? You know, were you kind of like the the main piercer? You know, who who else did you have working there? What was the dynamic like for how things were run and, and the counter staff like, especially compared to what you have now? Sure. So when I started, I mean, Leslie was still, it was her only business. So she was definitely around a lot. Um, at that point in time, all of our piercers and tattoo artists were uh, still uh, independent contractors. And then we had, uh, we had some folks who worked, we still had retail, a little bit of retail at that point. So we had some folks that worked in that part. And then we had uh, the uh, people who worked what we refer to as the body jewelry area. Um, Cause in our, the studio or original building, it was a kind of a completely separate area from where we had um, kind of the tattoo flash and the tattoo part of the shop. It wasn't a separate was it wasn't in a different building, just kind of physically separated a fair amount. Right. So we had the people who worked with our tattoo clients. We refer and we still do we refer to them as tattoo hosts. So we had those folks and uh, Leslie at that point was still you know in charge of a lot of the direction of the studio. And, um, you know, setting some policies and the way we did things. And, w- and when I came in, I actually um, had moved to Minneapolis uh, from Cleveland, where I had worked for Dave Vidra for a few years. And I moved to Minneapolis. Um, the woman I was dating at the time uh, got a job at St. Sabrina's. She was also a piercer. And so we moved here. And I actually didn't have a job um, at, the, at that time. And so when I started, Leslie kind of brought me on. There, there wasn't a piercing position, so she brought me on kind of as a manager to start doing some stuff she was looking to stop doing and then really to sort of act as a liaison kind of between the contractor piercers and uh, tattoo artist. I think she was really looking for someone who, you know, had some insight into to what they might be saying or what they might be trying to convince the, the studio to do or to not do. And so she was looking for a, a liaison for that. So that's kind of how my, my job started. And then um, over the next few months, I think there was a, there was someone who a piercer who left. So I started back piercing and then doing you know, doing the management stuff. And then uh, we that's kind of when we began we began the transition of switching our artists and our piercers to um, employees, uh, which again even back then was was certainly less common than it is today. Was and there that, was there pushback for that from like the from the staff? Uh, there was not for the piercers. Um, the woman I had been dating, they had actually hired her as an employee because they were having trouble. Back then, the shop had hours. I think we were open till midnight back then on Fridays and Saturdays. Wow. Um, so yeah, so they were having trouble finding piercers that were willing to work that late. You know, and when they were because they were contractors, they couldn't really couldn't really make them do that. So she was hired as an employee. So that was kind of an in. And then when I came on, I, I wanted to be an employee. I had done the contractor thing and was not a big fan of it. Um, and so every piercer we hired after that simply was an employee. And we had a couple uh, tattoo artists that kind of transitioned out at that point. And the new ones we brought in, it was just like, well, this is, you know, you're going to be an employee. This is kind of how we do things. Um, and really over the years, we've had 
I mean, I, I don't think I've had a single piercer have any issue with being an employee versus a contractor. Had a couple of artists be uncertain about it in the beginning. Um, and then I think I've only ever had one person decide not to take a job because of that arrangement. But the reality is that, you know, with the tattoo artist, it's it's not really that different. You know, they, they make a percentage um, with a little more control over maybe the schedule they're going to work. But I still try and be really flexible and, and understanding about that. Um, you know, they maybe can't just come and go all the time as some artists like to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, we're offering things like uh, health insurance and paid time off. You know, especially paid time off is pretty uncommon for tattoo artists since they're essentially kind of a commission-based uh, employee, you know, commission get paid by commission. So, um, just having some of those benefits, most people are actually seem to be really into it. Yeah. And imagine health insurance, you know, I think a lot of people in our industry tattooing and piercing, like it's just one of those, like, you know, better not get sick. I'll be broke, you know? So I think health insurance alone is, is a huge benefit. It is, you know, and especially in the past, you know, I guess, you know, whatever your, whatever your view on Obamacare is, you know, I mean, it's become a little easier for, you know, a lot of people to have coverage before where it was, you know, used to be nearly impossible if you didn't have it, you know, have an employer to either pay for all of it or help cover the cost because it was so expensive. So, um, what, at what point did you decide to kind of pull back a little bit more as a piercer and bring in other people so that you could handle more of like the, the end stuff? Sure. So we've always had several, you know, two, two to three piercers uh, working there in the time that I've been there. And it, you know, it was a little bit, I mean, I guess I don't know how conscious of a decision it was. It was some, it was just born out of necessity. Like I just, I just needed more time to, to, to run, you know, to run the studio. We've got a staff of, you know, usually fluctuates uh, between 15 and 18 people. Um, so, you know, sort of keeping track of that and, and, and ordering jewelry and just all the things that, that go along with trying to move a business forward was just taking up more and more of my time. So I just uh, started piercing less and less. And so we brought in, you know, additional piercers to help cover that. And then, you know, it's probably been, gosh, I don't know at this point, it's probably been two or three years since I've done an actual piercing um i will sometimes jump in and help do jewelry changes and stuff if it's really big and we don't have two piercers on at a a particular moment um so i I don't know how conscious of a decision it was um but that's kind of how it unfolded so how do you how do you feel like do you ever miss piercing or is it one of those things where you were kind of like you know, I, I got it out of my system and now I feel like, you know, the, the back end is where I feel more comfortable. Like, did, how do you, how do you feel transitioning from one role to the other? Sure. Um, you know, on the whole, I feel good about it. There are, there are moments, sometimes there are days, um, you know, again, maybe I jump in and do some jewelry changes or, you know, I step into a room for a reason and, and interact with one of the piercers and the clients. And, and, you know, there are definitely, there are definitely things about it that I miss from time to time. Um, but on the whole, I'm, you know, I'm pretty comfortable. I'm pretty comfortable not piercing, you know, with any sort of regularity. I mean, it was a, it was a huge, I mean, as I'm sure, you know, and and a lot of people listening to this, I mean, when you start piercing or when you get into piercing, I mean, it, it, it can be really consuming. Um, and that absolutely was the case when I started, um, you know, and back when, Back when I started 150 years ago, um, you know, it was, I mean, I mean, research was a lot harder, you know, it was a lot harder to find information. So you just, you really had to work at that even harder. And so it, I think it was easier to, for the, the whole thing to really kind of consume your life. And then that definitely was, definitely was the case for me. So, um, you know, and, and now it, 
it, it does just not just not the technical aspects of piercing different different parts of it i'm still really you know jewelry and, and again sort of the business part of it I, i'm really really into um but i don't uh you know I, I don't i'm not sad every day because i'm not in the piercing room i um, mean there are some days when i see you know because we can get really busy and i see how hard uh our piercers work um and there are definitely days like well i don't i don't miss those days you know right, yeah. just see how you know so how hard how how those guys are busting their butts. Um, and you know, someday and I consider myself really fortunate. So, you know, you, you bring up a good topic of the way <clears throat> of the way learning was kind of structured, you know, 20 years ago, roughly or, or whatever. So, um, you know, I remember for me, I, there really wasn't the internet yet. I mean, like the, the internet right. existed, but there really wasn't, you know, there weren't many avenues on there. I remember, like, you know, you'd, you'd thumb through old copies of, like, Grey's Anatomy or you'd, you know, you'd, you'd do this or you'd do that. So what were some of your, like, uh, your methods for learning? Was it, you know, trying to, to get out and do shadowing, you know, or, or were people even calling it shadowing then? Was it more like a one-on-one -on -one mentor kind of thing? Was it just kind of like trial and error experimentation? Like, uh, when you got into it, like, what were some of the, the better ways for you to develop your skills? Yeah, I mean, when I, I mean, I started in, I mean, I guess I sort of started my apprenticeship thing, my apprenticeship-like thing um, in, I don't know, end of 94, beginning of 95. So the internet was, I mean, it existed, but it was, it was sort of barely a thing. Right. Um, so, you know, I was, I did end up being pretty active, like on Rec Arts, Body Arts, um, the Usenet group. Um, and so, you know, you could pick up things here and there. But beyond that, it really was, you know, it was a lot of um, PFIQ in the beginning, uh, body play, the the PFIQ, the Pierce with a Pro videos uh, were, were certainly an educational tool. And then just, you know, there were there was a bulletin board uh, that I don't even remember the name of it now, but was around and there was a there was a body art forum on that. So when I first started, there were some other piercers, you know, on there. So I would learn stuff from that. Um, and yeah, really. And then just, uh, once I joined the APP in 96, uh, I think part of my acceptance letter was, Hey, your application was really good. Here's a couple, you know, here's a, here's a couple of questions that you answered that maybe weren't quite right. Um, there's this guy in, in Cleveland named Dave Vidra. Maybe you could reach out to him for some additional information. <laughs> and so he was, I mean, he was kind of the first piercer outside of, you know, anyone that I worked with directly or had, did an apprenticeship with that, um, you know, that, that I sort of came in contact with. And I mean, as we all know, he's a, you know, a wealth of information and knowledge. So that really kind of changed my, my whole, my whole access to information and sort of even my whole approach to things. You know, I'd had a, a pretty, you know, like a lot of us had back then, kind of a half-assed apprenticeship. Um, you know, I really, in fact, I, I went into my apprenticeship with probably more sort of technical, like theoretical knowledge about mm -hmm. and sterilization and that sort of stuff than the people who were training me. Um, I just didn't ha hadn't had much of the hands-on experience at that point. Right. Um, I, I had done some piercing, you know, out of my apartment and, you know, using the pressure cooker and the oven to dry, you know, to dry tools and all that, all that really fun old school stuff. Um, but you know, they, they, at some point the place that I started, um, I was, had been a client and I think they kept, I kept going in there and getting stuff done and they even actually helped me order some equipment before I ever did an apprenticeship there. That's and then, cool. I, yeah, I think and at some point the woman who, uh, Melissa Stroby was her name, uh, that owned the studio, the place, it was called Timey Down. It was actually more of like a, 
clothing and S&M store than, than anything else. I think she wanted to get out of piercing. And so they saw me hanging around and like, Hey, maybe we should train this guy, you know, to do piercing. And so they, they took me on. Um, but again, they were, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty rough back then still. Um, a lot of, a lot of not great sterilization and cross-contamination awareness, not a lot of understanding of jewelry materials, uh, you know, things like that. So it's it's kind of weird talking to you know because I I feel like I had similar things with with the way that I started you know I, I unfortunately I didn't really have an apprenticeship it was really more trial and error and it, it really held me back for for years and years and years you know with a little bit of mentoring I, I think I could have made smarter advancements earlier and I, yeah. I just didn't have those kinds of opportunities but I think now when we, we when we talk about the industry when it comes to like best practices you know I think you or I could sit down and we could. We could tell somebody what the ideal scenario would be, you know, get an apprenticeship and guidance and go to conference and go to Fakir, you know, different things like that. But, you know, I think that there is still a really large population of people out there who who don't have quality mentoring, haven't sought out high quality information. You know, it's out there. It's right at, the, it's right at people's fingertips. But I think still a lot of people don't bother doing that resource, research or they get a mentor that's like, oh, it's fine. I've been doing this for 25 years. You know, I haven't killed anybody yet, so it's got to be fine. And um, I, I don't know. I Sometimes I, I like to think that that part of the industry has kind of eroded away or, or been minimized. But, I, you know, I, I still get reminded, you know, there, there are different pockets of the U.S. where that's that's the norm. You know, it's not like that's the, the low end of the market. That's just, that's just the norm, you know. And um, it, it does get kind of frustrating, you know, especially – uh, you or I, you know, we're at, we're at conference every year, you know, and I, I like to see the, the new people who show up and especially say, like, I want to get into piercing. I'm not even a piercer yet. And, you know, this is where I came from my information. I really love to see that. But, um, you know, I, I just want to put it out there when when you or I talk about those days where it was a pressure cooker or an oven or this or that, like it's it's totally not something that you or I would would say would be an acceptable practice these days. You know, I, I, if, if I heard about something like that, that's something where I would call the health department on somebody, but for sure. I had a lot of parallels like that with my career. I remember doing a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. I mean, when I tell those stories, there's no, I mean, there's, I suppose there's an element of nostalgia there, but there, there's certainly no, you know, there's no element of pride in, in having done that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I do, you know, sometimes when I think back upon it, I, I, I wonder like, wow, did I, you know, did I maybe seriously hurt somebody? You know, did I ever give somebody an infectious disease, you know, just because the things weren't, you know, weren't up to par. And I think that's some, you know, if anybody is listening to this, who, you know, is, is concerned about that part of their job or that those standards they're operating to might not be up to snuff. I mean, that's the thing you have to think about. You, you know, you really can hurt people. Um, you know, obviously physically you can hurt people if you do a piercing wrong, but you know, for, for very long term, you can, you know, if you, if you aren't practicing appropriate sterilization, cross-contamination awareness, things like that, I mean, there is a real risk to the people that you're working on and, and people do need to understand that and really seek out the education, um, you know, to, to make sure that they are being safe. And, you know, I always wonder, you know, people, like you mentioned, there, there certainly are people out there that, um, still are operating at, you know, substandard some standard levels. And I always wonder how many of those people just sort of find themselves as piercers, you know, mm-hmm. or stuff, some, somehow they end up in a piercing job and that's not, but it's not something they ever really, you know, were particularly passionate about or, or care that, you know, right. care. Well, I, I've, I've, I've gotten, I've had interactions with people where 
they'll tell me, yeah, I'm in the studio and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, you know, I never, I never planned on it. You know, it's like I was dating someone who worked there and they were like, hey, do you want to try this? Or, you know, hey, you know, we're going to start piercing. We've never offered piercing before. Would you like to give it a try? You know, like I, I don't think people who, who have internet right now, right now, today, where you have Facebook and you have Instagram and you have all these different avenues where you can see quality piercing. It's right out there, you know, and people are so free to talk about their sterilization and their training and their experience and things like that. I, I definitely think it's few and far between today. Um, but I still, I still do hear about people who get put in those uh, uncomfortable situations, unsafe situations. And it's almost always because of a mentor who just hasn't engaged with, with the industry outside of their studio. It's usually a, a mentor or a, a studio owner or maybe even a tattooer who is just like, oh yeah, it's just a body piercing. How hard can it be? You can order some stuff online. You can do this. You can do that, and never bother pursuing additional information. You know, I, I've talked to other piercers, even recently, even within the last month. You know, not even just a conference, but piercers who say I wasn't allowed to talk to anyone in another studio. I wasn't allowed to try to shadow. I wasn't allowed to uh, try to make improvements uh, in the shop and get in new uh, sterilizers, new jewelry, things like that. And I, I think it's just because. You know, it all comes from leadership, you know, and if the leadership in the studio is is in kind of the mentality of like, eh, it's fine, you know, I'm making a couple of bucks off of it, who really cares? I don't want to have to spend my money to make something I don't care about better. Um, but, you know, I, I would hope that in these, these days, like anybody who's getting into body piercing, they kind of step back. And even if you don't have strong mentorship, realize that there's a lot of information, you know, even if you have to be sneaky and, and order like the APP procedural <laughs> manual on the down low and read it or something like that, you're like, you got to get the information where you get the information and try to make the positive impact you can in your studio. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and, I, and I think you're, I think you're totally right about the, the mentor thing. I mean, if you're, you know, if someone is is teaching you and they're telling you that this is, you know, this is the way things are, and and you hold them up to sort of be your mentor and the authority figure on the topic, uh, you know, uh, I guess I could see how somebody might, you know, might not be going that extra mile to to find out that information. But um, ho hopefully, you know, hopefully that is becoming even. It's, I don't think it's super common these days, but hoping it just becomes more rare and rare. Um, hopefully, you know, as time goes on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think every year at at conference, I see. A stronger crop of younger piercers you know like with with me being in some of like the safety oriented classes you know sometimes I'll ask questions and you know five years ago people would be a lot more in the dark when it came to things like proper disinfectant proper sterilization cross-contamination things like that and now people are sharp you know they're they're picking up on any of those like trick yeah. questions I might drop in a class or whatever and people just seem a lot more engaged even with you know smaller amounts of experience um, so when you were transitioning, you know, from uh, more of a piercer role to more of a managerial role, are, are there any like trends now in the industry you see that maybe you wouldn't have felt like would have would have been a strength for you? You know, like with um, how heavily promoted like freehand techniques are and, um, you know, different styles of jewelry and, and the popularity of certain piercings. Like, do you do you think that, you know, uh, Derek, five years ago, more piercing shifts, Derek would would feel as comfortable in the industry now or, or do you feel like it was kind of just a different mentality when you were doing it more full time? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think I probably wouldn't have felt as comfortable if I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm being you know honest about it. Um, I was, I, I was certainly was not a, um, 
you know, I certainly didn't use uh, forceps and tools for all of my piercings. There were some things that I did freehand, but I certainly um, I used I still use uh, clamps for a lot of things. Um, and I think you know, again, I, I am a firm believer that you know, it's sort of the best tool for the job, and there's not anything wrong with a you know properly used pair of forceps. But I think it, you know, if you're in an industry and you see it transitioning to in a completely different direction than where you're at i mean i think it would be hard to feel uncomfortable if you if you didn't also make those changes mm-hmm. and i you know i had made some of them um but i certainly there were things that i you know wasn't you know cer- certainly didn't do that a lot of other people did you know when it came to freehand technique um you know certainly and then there's probably been a lot of jewelry i haven't worked with as extensively um, when it comes to putting it you know in clients and, and using it on clients um you know in the past uh, that have popped up in the past five years or so have you noticed that like i I think the main trend over the last couple of years is jewelry is just getting so tiny you know tiny and tiny and complicated right yeah Yeah. all these little end pieces and all this little detail and like i i know that you know companies like body vision and other gold or gold jewelers have been around for a really long time but now it's just like the 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 value and and the craftsmanship that goes into jewelry and it's just so itty bitty and like I'm very comfortable with it now but like you know me as a piercer ten years ago if someone was like hey you know I want you to pierce my septum with this little tiny seam ring that you have to bend and there's this whole row of gems and if you put the wrong kind of pressure on it you can break it and you know this jewelry costs more than you know your car you know right, and right. Uh, I think I would have been super intimidated and you know I'm comfortable with it now. But um, it's just like huge, huge differences in the industry and I, I feel like a fairly small amount of time. The last five years especially has, has been like a completely different industry for me at least. And um, it's cool to see it, you know, but I, I definitely do feel that there can be like a, a little bit of a disconnect with, with piercers who got in in the 90s or got in in like that different generation, whether it was like more of like a modern primitives kind of generation or whether it was more of like a a gauntlet generation or a BME generation, you know, and, and now I, you know, I, I say it sometimes that it's kind of like the Instagram generation where it's piercers who are, they're experts on little itty bitty things. But I, I think that some of the, the piercing knowledge is getting kind of lost on younger generations of, of piercers. And, uh, I don't know where we're going to be in five years because like generationally, if we have piercers that are dropping out, you know, what if we're losing some of that information, some of that, like, shared information that that people can kind of pass down from mentor to apprentice and whatever you know genital piercings surface piercings you know i feel like surface piercings have been really been neglected over the last couple of years and i've seen a lot of piercers struggle with those techniques because they got distracted by things like surface anchors you know and they they tried that for a couple of years and it kind of you know flamed out and now certain piercers are coming back around where they look at piercings from the 90s and the early 2000s as these like rare unicorn things like you know How often do people get asked to just pierce a simple librette these days, you know? Yeah. And and uh, it's it's just a weird generational difference. Yeah, when, yeah. When, when was the last time you know a bunch of a lot of the people that are listening to this did a dido piercing? Right. You no, know, like I mean that's I mean we you know we we do a fair amount of genital piercings at our studio, and then that's that's a rarity you know even still these days. Yeah, and I was just you know bef- uh, earlier today I was listening to um, the first part of your podcast with with Jim, and you were ma- Jim Ward, and you were making some of those you know those same those same observations and and I think that you're totally right I, I feel like 
you know, it used to be the scenario where if you were a piercer, you wanted to do, you wanted to be able to do all of the piercings. Right. And you, you know, there might be some things you held off on doing because they were, they were much more complicated or the risks were higher, you know, things like triangles, ampelangs, apodravias. You maybe wouldn't do those until you really could find someone, you know, find someone to sort of train you or give you some guidance on those. But I do feel like, and this isn't a judgment, it's just an observation. I do feel like these days that there are a lot more piercers that they're just, yeah, they're just a lot of things they don't do. And, and genitals is probably the, genital piercings are probably the most obvious one. But but even, you know, I, some piercers that, that don't do septums or don't do, you know, just don't do certain things that, that seem a little more a little more straightforward, um, mm-hmm. you know, a little more just like they should be in the toolbox of, of every, you know, if you're every piercer, uh, right. but there's just, there's just a lot more people that just don't do as much stuff. And, and again, not a judgment. And those people, a lot of those people seem perfectly fine with it. Like they're, they don't feel like they're, you know, missing out on anything or like they're not, you know, they're not fulfilling themselves as a piercer. They, they're perfectly fine, you know, not, not doing a handful of, of different piercings. And that's, I mean, as long as they're comfortable with it, I guess that's great. It, but it is definitely a different a different sort of outlook. Yeah. So, like one one piercing, I don't know how it, how often you hear the same thing, but one piercing that I hear consistently for for piercers with like you know less than five years experience, um, tongues. You know, a lot of them struggle with tongues because it's just it's not a popular piercing. They don't get asked for it five times a day yep. like you used to back in like the the late nineties. You know, and and people are freaked out by it. You know, people moving their tongue or the sliminess of it or or whatever, you know, and I, I, you know, I want to tell these, these younger generations of piercers, like back when I was doing five tongues every day that I was going to pierce, like if someone had walked through the door and said like, Oh, I want my doth pierced. I would have been sweating bullets. I would have been so nervous <laughs> right. to do that piercing because at the time that was super rare and I had hardly ever done one, never really got the shot, especially not with like $500 jewelry or, or whatever that, that is just commonplace today. So those piercers who feel that intimidation factor of, you know, I don't necessarily want to do a tongue. I don't necessarily want to do this or want to do that. Like you got to realize that generationally, I think the, the younger piercers that are starting now are some of the strongest piercers I've seen because they're, they're doing these tiny little things that require like tight precision and, you know, all this different manipulation of itty bitty pieces of jewelry without scratching it, you know, and mm-hmm. they're piercing without tools. They're piercing disposable. They're piercing out of their hands. They're doing all these things that are like very difficult, you know? So step back and think that like those commonplace piercings from 10 or 15 years ago are so much easier than you probably think they are. You know, maybe you just need to get out and shadow. Maybe you just need to get out and take a class, or maybe you just need to watch a couple of nice videos on YouTube of, you know, whatever respected piercer doing them and just find that confidence level. But, you know, I, I think the, the main trend that I want to push over the next year or two is like, you know, being a quality body piercer means being versatile, being well-rounded, you know, and, and for those piercers who are like, you know, I can do anything without a tool or I can do anything with the tool or I can do anything with any jewelry. Like you should also be able to feel pride over that fact that like anything that walks through the door with the exception of some things, you know, like a triangle is a really good example, but most anything else that's like a, a, a non genital piercing, like you should be able to have that card in your deck, you know, and you should have the strength where if somebody comes in and wants an eyebrow or librette, a tongue, something that's not popular now, you should still be able to be comfortable doing that and be confident in your abilities because the other stuff you're doing all day every day is way more complicated than that. Yeah, it's just it's just more familiar so it so it feels it feels easier. But yeah, I mean the tongue I think is a great example of that. You know, I would never 
never really, you know, enjoyed doing tongue piercings all that much, but if, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they were super easy. You know, it's one mm-hmm. of the one of the quickest piercings, you know, to, to kind of to get in a room and, and do. And it was, you know, fairly very rarely are they complicated. There's, you know, not often a, a lot of serious anatomical consideration, um, you know, and you just you just went and did it. And it was, you know, it, it was a pretty easy piercing to do. Um, so the idea of that being intimidating, you know, seems odd to me. But at the same time, like you said, if, if someone asked me to, you know, do a do a, a doth piercing or some other complicated ear thing with a tiny piece of delicate jewelry. I'm sure I would be sweating bullets, you know, trying to trying to figure that out or trying to not break a break an expensive piece of jewelry. Right. So um, a big thing that sticks out in my head when I think Saint Sabrina's is kind of like like a dream team kind of atmosphere. You know, like you <laughs> you've always recruited really really strong piercers, or maybe they've just kind of gravitated to you because of the the reputation that you've all created in the studio. So you know, one one big generation that stands out to me, and especially related to my personal career for for a long time. You know, I had seen gold start to take on this momentum uh, on the internet and you know on on facebook and through social media and and all those different things and um, when i was on tumblr like being part of like the app social media committee stuff uh nate janky like his stuff was always really inspiring you know the way that he would take kind of simple end pieces and he would put them in these tight configurations so that it would kind of create this this thing, you know, that would look just really cool, like this matching set together. And, and then you started to bring in all these other people and, um, you know, you've had uh, like some of like the best of the best, like working in the studio, you know, um, CJ Maxwell and, and, and others, you know, and how do you, how do you create an atmosphere like that? Is it that you just kind of, you leave the door open to people coming in for guest spots so you can kind of like talent scout? Do you feel like it's just the environment, the city, people are liking that, people are liking the volume of business or the vibe of the shop? Like what are some of the elements that have gone into you having that kind of success with your staffing? Yeah, it's it's a little hard to put my finger on it because, you know, it's obviously it's, it's something I would like to be able to replicate at, at you know, with ease. Um, some I think so, I mean some of it is you know the fact that we're a busy studio so we're able to you know we're able to offer um, you know we're able to offer good good compensation um, that certainly is helpful again things like benefits paid time off I mean that that certainly is attractive to people especially you know once you start talking to piercers that that, that are you know a little older or have been piercing a little longer those those sorts of things start to become more important um, you know, I think beyond that, just we've uh, jewelry, you know, having a great qual- quality and, and, you know, variety of jewelry to work with. And beyond that is just trying to have an environment where, where quality is super important. Um, it's not an environment where um, everybody needs to be piercing the same way. Um, that's never been a concern for me um, as long as people are doing safe and, and getting good results. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not particularly concerned about how you get the job done. Um and so I think I think that goes a long way. Um, you know, we haven't we haven't really done um, up until the past two or three years. We we didn't really have a whole lot of guest spots that came through, uh, or guest we didn't have a lot of guest piercers rather. Um, Nate was actually a local hire, um, and he was somebody that uh, I knew a little bit from uh, another shop and a piercer that used to work for us. Um, and he'd only been piercing a couple years and. Uh, I just, you know, I don't know. There was just something about him personally, something I kind of saw in him. I cer- certainly saw a passion, you know. So he was somebody I kind of uh, took a little bit of a chance on, I guess. And clearly, um, 
you know, that panned out. Um, he's a really phenomenal, phenomenal piercer. Um, beyond that, I, I mean, I guess it's just, just trying to have an, an environment where it's, it's, it's good to work. Um, you know, I think one thing Billy Woods, one of our newest hires, and one thing that he remarked, he's remarked on a couple times the time he's been here, is that there's they're just people paying attention to what's going on with the shop, and clearly that you know the sh- someone is running the shop, someone sort of guiding the ship, um, and trying to make sure that you know the the clients are taken care of, and that employees are taken care of, and um, you know that we're just we're just moving in the right direction. So I I mean I don't know if that is is part of it. Um, I don't think it's my shiny bright personality or anything like that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, other than 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 Billy, who who else is working in the studio? Who's on staff? Yeah, right, right, right now we've got um, Nate, who Nate Janky, who's uh, been with us the longest. He's been there uh, just over ten years. Uh, we've got Courtney Jane Maxwell or CJ Maxwell. She's been with us uh, a little over uh, six or seven years now. Wow, it's been that long. It's been a while. Yeah, I, wow. think, it's, I think it's been six about six years now. Maybe, maybe yeah, I remember. Maybe, I remember her first day there and how excited she was yep and then we have uh weston fryer uh Mm -hmm. who uh is uh he's he's certainly our youngest little little westy we like to call him um (laughs) but uh he for someone uh as young as he is i won't divulge how much of a child he is but um he is really just a a really fabulous person a, a great personality to have in the shop and he's a really fantastic piercer and then, you know, we've got Billy Wood, um, who has worked, you know, he started, uh, he trained under Jeff Saunders at Rockstar. Uh, he worked uh, for a while at Adorn in Portland, and he came to us from 23rd Street in uh, Oklahoma City. So he's clearly worked at some fantastic studios. Yeah, that's a really strong so, pedigree for a piercer. Yeah, it's, I mean, it really is, uh, you know, when you said dream team, I mean, it's, from my perspective, it, it really truly is to have, you know, that caliber of, of talent sort of all collected under under one roof. And to not, you know, the reality is there's just not a lot of, you know, there's not there's not a lot of ego involved in anybody. There's not a lot of butting heads. You know, I mean, everybody obviously in any work situation, there's there's occasional friction and whatever. But on the whole, it's just a, it's an incredibly talented group of people that just show up and and want to do a really good job and want to take care of their clients and give them you know sort of the best service and the best quality we have. So that's um, it's really fortunate. So if if you found yourself in a position where you needed to to hire piercers, um. You know, what's your mentality on it? Is it take someone who's already got a, a very strong pedigree, you know, a, a person like Billy, where you're kind of recruiting someone in who um, needs very little guidance? Or, you know, because I've, I've noticed, you know, you have Weston as a, a younger piercer. You know, you had Dan Steinbacher for a while, who at, at the time when you hired him was also very young in his career. Yep. Um, do you, what do you think is like the, the good fit? Or are you just looking for, the right personality, the right person to fit into the family. Like, do you like to take someone and kind of give them an opportunity, give them some mentoring? Do you like to take someone who's already kind of like ready to go full force? Like if you had to hire someone tomorrow, would you want to recruit someone in or would you want to maybe think about training someone? Um, I mean, if you, by training, you mean take someone, you know, for, from the ground up and do an apprenticeship. Um, We've considered it, but honestly, in the time that I've been at St. Sabrina's, we've never done a piercing apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that is just, you know, because of how busy we are, taking the time to do that is challenging. Uh, the number one factor for me is always personality um, and who I think is going to be a good fit. Um, again, you you know, you can have the most technically proficient um 
piercer, you know, on the planet. But if they're just a jerk and they can't get along with the people that they work with, you know, that's, that's no good. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times it's been my experience that that translates into not being that great with clients, which obviously is no good. But, um, you know, so, so it just, it has to be somebody that I feel like is the right fit. And beyond that, you know, they need a certain level of, of competence and experience. Um, but you know, if they're, if they're not, uh, you know, they don't come to us fully trained and they don't have, you know, eight or 10 years of experience, that's okay. Um, I think, you know, that's, that's one thing I've, I've been okay at over the years is recognizing, um, you know, when the, the talent and potential is there, as long as the, as long as the personality is there mm-hmm. and then we can work with the rest of that. And, and some of it, I guess, too, depends on the current configuration of the staff. You know, if I had, say we have four full-time piercers now, if I had three piercers who, you know, had between two and four years experience, um, then I would, uh, you know, I would almost certainly try and find somebody who was a little more experienced. Uh, but if I've got a staff of people who have five to 10 or more years experience, I've got two or three of those people on staff, um, then I'm going to be more likely to, to take a shot with somebody who's maybe a little less experienced because I've got the staff in place to help guide them and, 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 you know, um, kind of grow the, their, the talent that they already have. So what, like, do you have any like advice for those piercers who are younger in their career? Is it kind of like, you know, stick it out in your studio, even if you're not in an ideal situation, you know, and hone your craft? Or is it one of those things where you would kind of tell people, you know, unless you need to be where you are, unless that's your only option, you know, get out there? Or would it be like, you know, uh, kind of do a mix, you know, try to do guest spots or whatever. Like, what are some of the things you'd see? Because I think a lot of younger piercers now, they're just kind of, they're hedging it all on Instagram, you know, and sure. try, trying to put out good social media stuff and hopefully somebody will, will you know, take notice. Like, what are some of like the pieces of advice that you would give a younger piercer that wants to move up? Sure. Well, I mean, one thing I definitely have noticed or I feel like I have noticed and I th- is that a lot of piercers these days uh, seem to be less willing to move or relocate mm-hmm. um, and to improve their situation. And and I think I, you know, I feel like I understand what some of that is about, you know, when, um, when I started piercing. And I mean, even as much as, you know, probably 10 or 15 years ago, there wasn't necessarily anything to indicate that you, you know, you could make a living, you could survive or make a living or make a career out of being a piercer. Right. So, so it, it sort of made a little more sense that if that's what you wanted to do, you were, you know, and you, you didn't have a good situation that you were going to have to go find one. I mean, obviously there were, there were fewer studios back then as well, mm-hmm. but I feel like nowadays because it, 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 the foundation has been laid and it's pretty clear that you can make um, you know, a career or a, a living at least out of being a body piercer in the event, it doesn't become a, a, a lifelong career for you. Um, the, the people are a little there. They feel like there's less need for them to move. Like they should just be able to stay where they are and, and be the piercer that they want to be or, or have the situation that they want to be in. And, and unfortunately that's not always going to be the case. I mean, there are going to be situations where somebody, you know, can make it work and, and convince an owner or, or whatever to, to up, up the standards. But I do think being willing to to move, you know, and, and take a little bit of a risk in that regard is um, is important, you know. If you, if you can't find a way to improve the situation where you're at, um, for me personally, every every improvement in my career really the only way the only way it happened was by making a major move. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and in my case, it involved moving states or you know partway across the country. But yeah, just just having that willingness to to put yourself out there and and take that risk of moving along. Now, if you can stay where you're at and have a situation that you can improve, but you can travel and guest spot and shadow, and and you don't have to uproot your life because and you don't want to do that, then that's great. I just think there probably are a lot of people who miss out on the opportunities to, you know, really jumpstart their career or make big big. Um, big moves forward in their career because they, they may not be willing to take that chance. Yeah. I mean, I, I can, I'll definitely cut people a lot of slack if it's a situation where, you know, family, kids, you yeah, know, if they're, if they're in course. college, something like that, you know, but yeah. uh, yeah, you know, if, if you have the ability, if you have the flexibility to kind of get out and even if it's like a, a, a temporary thing, you know, even if it's, well, I, I would imagine I would live here for one year or maybe I could go and do, uh, you know, three months at this place or, you know, or like over a summer break or something like that. But, you know, get out there and, and, and see what's available. You know, for me, like I, I've lived essentially my whole life in the same area. And like I I had to kind of like claw and scratch to, to get what I have now. And like, you know, it took 20 something years. But, you know, I got here and I feel like if I had maybe had the courage to kind of like pick up and, and move to maybe a, another location, maybe I could have gotten where I wanted to be a lot sooner if I had that kind of flexibility, but I, I never really was interested in moving. But I think now, um, especially for, for younger piercers, there are so many studios out there and I'm talking like like high end, like yeah. top of the market studios of, who are like hungry for piercers, you know? Yeah, and, a lot of people, a lot of people trying to hire right now. Yeah. Like this is, the, this is an ideal time. If you do have that flexibility, you know, if you have, uh, you know, the precursory knowledge, if you have the experience to land a job like that, you know, but the only thing that's stopping you is, is moving, you know, maybe take the plunge, you know, if, you know, for whatever is, is, is right for you and your life, you know, I don't want to like push people, but yeah, of course. Uh, you, you know, sometimes it's about taking that chance. Yeah. I mean, if you're in a situation where you just kind of have yourself to worry about, then obviously it's, it's much easier to do something like that. And I, you know, certainly I wasn't suggesting someone should, you know, uproot their, you know, their partner and their child. And, you know, if that's, if that's not what seems right or what feels right for your situation, there's, there's, right. no, ju- there's no judgment in that regard. I mean, obviously we all have to, Oh, to totally. Do what we ultimately think is going to be to be best for our, you know, the the long the long term of our life. So right. Well, I mean, sometimes that can even be the best move for your family. Yeah. You know, like if you have the opportunity to to get out there and, and advance your career and, and make money, you know, try to get out there and do it. Um. So probably the the, the last thing I want to talk about, and then we can start wrapping it up, is um. How do you how do you feel like your conference week went? I, I know you've been essentially every year through your piercing career, you know, um, what, what does it feel like for you going to conference after, you know, 20, 20 something years? Like what, what is conference week like for you? Yeah. So this was my 22nd year. So I've been to all of them, except I think the very first one that was in Las Vegas. Uh, and so it's, it's always different for me leading up to it is different every year. Um, and that, you know, how I feel about it, how, how excited I am or am not about going. Um, and that's just something I've, I sort of recognize at this point. And that can be, you know, that can hinge on a lot of things. It can sort of depend on what's going on in the shop or what I have going on in my personal life or how many, um, how many classes I need to be prepared for. Um, you know, this year I was, um, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't super excited about it leading up to it. And some of that was just stress about, um, initially kind of being underprepared for my class, you know, some of my classes. And that's obviously that's all on me. I had plenty of notice. Um, so that, but that definitely did affect how I was feeling about going in, but, um, it turned out, 
you know, it turned out to be a great year. And that's another thing that I've learned after all these years is some years are, you know, some years are better than others. Um, and there can be a lot of things that affect that for me, um, or for any of us. And, but this year, um, just ended up being a really great year. And obviously my conference has changed a lot over the years from just the standpoint of, um, the, the number of classes I'm taking, the types of classes I'm taking. I'm, I'm not obviously really focused on a lot of, technique or you know things that are really applicable in in the piercing room these days i'm focused a lot more on you know things that are jewelry and and management and you know business you know owner and uh you know managing employees and all those sorts of things so that definitely affects my conference but on the whole this year was really good um, i got to take a couple of really good classes um i uh, got to spend some time you know some good quality with um friends uh, outside of the hotel which always makes a huge difference for me. Um, I use yeah, it, it like I always call it getting off campus um, and going and, you know, get to some restaurants or get to, um, you know, just, just go do some stuff that's not in the hotel. And, and even getting off the strip is, is really kind of refreshing for me at this point in time. So I got to do some of that. Um, my fiance, Becky was, was there for a couple of days. So getting to spend some, some time with her and, you know, having that sort of touch point, uh, of stability, um, you know, in the craziness that is Vegas, um, is always, uh, is always nice. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was a good year. You know, the classes were good that I saw. I got a lot of good feedback from other people who took classes. Um, you know, I didn't do as much in the expo this year as I have done in years past. Um, and that's, yeah, expo, that, that's a really good point that I wanted to, to talk about. Expo was so like feverish this year. Uh, like yeah. a lot of, a lot of booths got annihilated in the first like couple of hours or maybe even the first hour of yep. the first day, you know? And, um, I, I know that it's very appealing if you can walk into expo, put down cash and walk away with jewelry in a, in a day where you have to wait three or four months for a jewelry order. But you know, it's like piranhas, like, you know, going after something in the water, you know, and it jewelry, jewelry at Expo this year felt very different, you know, yep. with Anatometal not being there, with Body Vision not being there, you know, that, that leaves a, a pretty big vacuum. And, you know, just seeing how, uh, you know, by the second day of conference, a lot of booths were completely wiped out. Like it was just, yep. it, you know, I, not, not unexpected, uh, oh, but oh, for sure, like stark, a stark difference than, than previous years. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's a, that environment that like, I think a piranha, you know, is, is a, piranhas is a great way to describe it is, is not, uh, not something that works at all for me. Um, mm -hmm. It's not anything that I'm, I'm sort of interested in doing. Um, you know, I know last year when body vision was there, there was kind of the same thing, kind of a big rush for their booth. And I was, you know, I was pretty far towards the beginning of the line, but I got over there and I, you know, was getting a tray to start getting some stuff picked up and I, and I started like getting physically jostled around, you know, people are mm -hmm. jostling for position and I just, I just put my tray down and just walked away, you know, because yeah. at that point it's just, it's just not, I'm not interested in that sort of environment. Um, you know, and this year was, you know, I don't know if there was the physicality, um, but there was, you know, certainly a, I know a lot of people were, were heading to, you know, some real specific booths and, and I think you're exactly right. That's, it's not, it's not surprising given the current climate with, um, you know, jewelry wait times or people that want to get, you know, want to get some cool new stuff and there are people that are just simply desperate to have jewelry you know in their studio um and i guess we're we're f a little fortunate in that position that right now we're we're reasonably well stocked um it's not we're not unaffected by the wait times but we you know we're, we're doing okay so we, i didn't feel the need to 
again to kind of interject myself uh, in that whole in that whole business. So it was pretty Expo was pretty light for me this year. Um, you know, it was nice to walk around and see stuff and talk to vendors and catch up with people, but I didn't I didn't really end up purchasing a whole lot of jewelry. Uh, I didn't I didn't either. I got one pair of uh, of ear weights for my girlfriend, and, yeah. and that's it. I didn't buy anything for the studio because it's yeah. just it's not my speed. Like yeah. I don't like to go fast. I like to take my time. Like drink in everything that somebody has available, ask prices, find the best pieces that would fit for my studio. I don't like to just kind of like grab in a frenzy and then hope that it will sell, you know, uh, because my studio is not not high volume. I can't afford to make uh, large investments on jewelry that may or may not sell. Like I need to put my money on, on something that's more dependable. And I feel like every year Expo... Um, goes farther away from that where, you know, sure, if maybe people are having a deal or a special or some unique thing that you can only get at Expo, great. But um, if it's just like, if it's the same jewelry and the only difference is I can get it today versus I can get, I can wait, I'd rather wait. I'd rather like take the time to like put together a carefully crafted order and then kind of like, you know, flip a couple pages of my calendar waiting to get it. Yep, that's that's really exactly uh, my approach as well. It's it's much more my speed, you know. And in years past, I've also Courtney is is you know has been there. Some of the other piercers have been there to sort of help do some of the expo, uh, you know, expo scouting out and buying to. And and we just ended up not having anyone other than myself this year, here this year. And so that that certainly you know probably affected things. But I you know I kind of went a different direction and focused um, on the raffle this year, which I have not done. Uh, mm-hmm. in any sort of years past have not purchased any kind of amount of raffle tickets really and uh, i did that this year and that you know that that made for a pretty good expo we did win a, a raffle prize so that was uh, did you did you get one or two we got um we got two of the anatomical um the they're one of the two of the anatomical grand prizes um <laughs> at, yeah which you know is, is certainly certainly never bad um one thing i actually am kind of excited about that came out of it is when i won the second one um, I offered it up. I made an announcement and offered, uh, you know, if someone would purchase it from me for eight thousand dollars, which makes it a really good deal, you know, thousand mm-hmm. dollars for eight thousand dollars, that I would um, donate that money back to the APP, presumably for scholarships. I guess is kind of what I would think it would be earmarked for. I would want it used for, um, and I wasn't sure if anybody would take me up on it, but somebody certainly did, and so um, I'm excited to to be able to make that donation to the organization and hopefully get, you know, whether that's all this year or over the next few years, get some more people to conference. Um, because I think, you know, as I say every year in orientation, it, it is career changing and life changing. And, um, you know, there's certainly a lot of people who, who need to get there and the more folks we can help make that happen for who maybe can't do it themselves. You know, that's, that's something I get excited about. Well, you know, so that, that just kind of shows, you know, a selflessness that, um, you know, I, I've always really appreciated about it. You, you know, you, you've never seemed like um, ego driven or, you know, you, you don't want to show off. You know, you work in what most people would agree is one of the, the top piercing studios in the country, one of the busiest piercing studios in the country. Um, with with some of the best talent in the country, you know, and um, none of you are ever like, you know, St. Sabrina's, you know, it's just always, you know, you're just kind of you're there in the trenches with everybody else and you're you're part of the team. So to, to see you um, take something which is a, a you know, a, basically a $12,000 grand prize and say, you know, I want to take this and I want to put it towards other people's future and and not selfish uh, selfishly use it just for yourself you know like that's that's huge you know and um there was a really cool tradition i i wish i could remember what the the words were in spanish but at the lbp conference the the one time i went people were doing the raffle 
And if people who were already kind of in an affluent studio would win, or you know one of the instructors would win a raffle prize, everybody would basically start chanting, um, "Give it back! Give it mm. back! Give it back!" And then they would they would draw another ticket, and then the next sure. person who would get it, and they'd be someone where you know even if it was a couple hundred bucks, that could be life changing or or career changing, you know. And um, so you know I'll say thank you for all the future scholars that that are going to get to conference based on your generosity there. So I'll say thank you to that because it really will have an enormous impact on on somebody's life and somebody's career in in the not too distant future. Yeah. I hope so. I mean this, you know, I I look at I guess where I'm where I'm at after 20 some years and you know a lot of it is you know a lot of, certainly a lot of hard work but you know there's certainly some luck in there and there's certainly you know people who have have done things for me over the years to you know that have ultimately led to where I am I am and so you know just to have the opportunity to, to maybe pay that back a little bit or extend that um, good fortune to somebody else just seems like the right thing to do yeah well you know uh, it's pretty cool if you ask me <laughs> Um, so, uh, one more time for the people yep. listening, you know, uh, where are you working? What's your social media? Um, anything you'd want them to know about St. Sabrina's? Sure. Um, yeah, I'm at, uh, Derek Lowe at St. Sabrina's in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, the shop, uh, social media, all of it is St. Sabrina's with St. spelled out. Um, we've been open for 25 years and, uh, we're, you know, just I guess going strong and, um, I'm super, I guess the one thing I would say about the shop, um, I try and let, uh, let my staff know how much I appreciate their hard work and dedication. Um, but you know, I probably still don't get it done enough. So I'd like to give them just a public shout out. Um, I'm super, you know, super honored and thrilled to work with such a, a talented group of people. And that's, you know, piercers, tattoo artists, the folks who helped me run the studio and, and our front end, um, are really just a fantastic group of people. So I appreciate all your guys' hard work, uh, and everything that you do for the studio. Uh, my personal social media is just at Derek Lowe. And again, that's mostly going to be pictures of, uh, my dog and maybe a few other random things that are going on in my life, but not a lot of industry, uh, related stuff. Cool. Well, uh, you know, it's kind of kind of late for us, so I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And uh, my pleasure. Yeah, and no, I guess you know, if I don't see you sooner, I'll definitely see you uh, at conference next year. Well, I certainly hope it's sooner than that. I certainly hope so too. I, I want to get out there. Out to, maybe you should come out to Minneapolis. Maybe I Janu- should. January is really nice here, so I would. Is I, it? So January, or February, it's great. Are you? No, that's sarcasm. No, right? no, it's great. It's really nice. Not, not cold, nothing. I, I I think you're trying to trick me because I am also from a bitterly cold area, no. and I definitely would not recommend that someone come and visit me here I, in I, January I or February. I would neither. May May June is nice. October November if you like some nice fall weather, but maybe totally. maybe, maybe skip the winter months. Well, maybe yeah. I, I'm already in a frozen hellscape in the winter, so I can just stay in my own. You just stay over there. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'll talk nice to you try. later, and uh, next time you see CJ, tell her I say hello. I absolutely will. All right. Bye. Bye. All right, Derek. Thanks for finding some time to talk to me. I always appreciate it when people can fit me into their schedules, and I appreciate everybody still listening after an hour plus of interview. Uh, keep in mind that that is Saint Sabrina's, spelled out Saint. Do not put in ST period Sabrina's. That's kind of a, a pet peeve for, uh, I'm sure, everybody working on staff there. So thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with another interview. Not 100% sure who it's going to be with yet, but I'm going to guess that they'll be related to the body piercing industry. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, see you next week. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. 
For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.